is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Arch. I'm Charles Feldman. A mass shooting in Tribugo Canyon, leaving four people dead, six hurt. It's apparently the result of a domestic dispute between an ex-cop and his estranged wife. So we are going to go in-depth into how problems at home can lead to violence and even murder. Former President Trump surrenders today in Georgia. We look into why he's changing lawyers. And is it way too early to drink pumpkin spice coffee? Starbucks doesn't think so, but is it right? I will make a vow Mm -hmm. right here and now. You will never, ever see me drink pumpkin spice (laughs) coffee. Ever. They're selling pumpkin spice dog food, I think. (laughs) There's something about, I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll get into it later, but still. Uh-uh. We start, though, with the mass shooting in Orange County and domestic violence. Carol Ann Peterson is a domestic abuse expert and lecturer at USC. She's written extensively about this subject. Carol Ann, thanks for being with us. Thank you. So uh, I know that every case obviously is different, and uh, every uh, marriage and every domestic partnership is different. But are there telltale signs that perhaps what starts out as a rocky relationship or, uh, you know, some people euphemistically refer to them as uneven relationships could end up going so far south that you get into the area of murder? Well, in domestic violence situations, um, the relationship doesn't start out rocky. Um, It starts out like the fairy tale of being wined and dined and you're falling in love. It's down the road when the issues of control come from the abuser. Um, But one of the biggest is in those relationships, when you begin to realize you might be in an abusive relationship, are there weapons in the home? Obviously, in this situation, a retired cop had his weapons, and many do, um, but access to weapons, especially to guns, is a more likelihood of homicide if you're in an abusive relationship. Then you add to that um, subtlety, such as, I don't like what you're wearing, uh, which might sound very innocuous, but in the meantime, it could mean a red flag that you need to pay attention to. Um, you have other issues, such as name-calling. This wonderful relationship that started out sounding like the fairy tale now is name calling. Uh, the B word gets used a lot against victims. Um, it's your fault. Um, I wouldn't have hit you if you hadn't done this. So it it begins to build. And the more this builds, the more likely you are to have somebody severely injured, including children, including pets. So it's what we want to educate the public about. If this is happening to you, there are resources to reach out. There are also um, signs that th- this kind of domestic abuse can also go uh, from from the female partner to the male partner. Uh, I think we recently had a stabbing reported on a beach in Malibu, and uh, we don't have a lot of details on it yet, but some of the details seem to suggest that it was a woman who stabbed a man. It may have started out as a domestic fight. So there are red flag warnings that can come from uh, both sides. Are there any warnings that one can see earlier in a relationship rather than waiting until down the road and you've basically made a commitment? Uh, you want to look for those signs early on of, oh, I love you. I can't live without you. Um, you know, 
we don't need anybody else in our lives, just the two of us. Um, it sounds wonderful because if you go back, that's what fairy tales teach us. And this isn't a fairy tale. You want to look for those signs that are very subtle. Um, look and see how they treat their parents, their siblings. Um, I've always told my students, when you're dating, date for at least a year. What are they like when you go through the holidays? You know, holidays in the best of families can be stressful, as we all know, especially if you have large families. But you want to look at how do they treat within that? Because abusers don't give you those signs on the outside to the rest of the world. To the rest of the world, they're upstanding citizens. They're charming. They're wonderful. They're marvelous. Behind closed doors, there's somebody different. Mm. And you want those subtle signs to be able to plant in the back of your mind. Are you an abuser? Not that they are, but you want to pay attention. All right. Carolyn uh, Peterson, thank you so much for joining us. Domestic abuse expert and uh, lecturer at USC. Right now, though, uh, was the real winner of last night's Republican presidential debate someone who wasn't even there? Bill McGoshen is a Republican strategist in Wisconsin. Bill, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I can't remember, and I've covered presidential debates. I've, I've been at them. I can't remember a time when, and this was my impression, that the person who won a debate was not actually in the debate. And we're, <laughs> we're talking, of course, about former President Trump. Was right. that your impression? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, the president made a, The former president made the decision not to attend the first GOP debate. Uh, for a variety of reasons, starting with the fact that he's up by 30 to 40 or even 50 points in some of the polling. But there was no doubt that he won last night because he didn't take any direct hits. So everybody on the stage was being compared to a guy who wasn't there. So he got out unscathed. I don't think his massive lead will shrink by much. Uh, Maybe it'll start to shrink after the debate out your way in California. And uh, September, but we'll see. Would it have made a difference if there had been more focus on the, the uh, current uh, legal issues that the former president is facing? Yeah, it may have. And I'll tell you what, I think the candidate who had hurt the most, believe it or not, was Chris Christie. Chris Christie, I mean, his entire campaign is built around Donald Trump not getting the nomination. So he didn't really have anyone to attack last night. So it, it it's sort of like uh, asking Clayton Kershaw, you know, to pitch a game without a fastball, right? It, it, it doesn't work. So I thought Christie suffered the most by by uh, Trump not being there, and perhaps Mike Pence too. I mean, a matchup between a a former president and and his his former vice president would have been unprecedented, and uh, you know that made it may have made the entire debate about January sixth and he said she said kind of thing. Um, but the fact that the president didn't come, I hope, isn't a continuing uh, decision by him, because if he wants to win in Wisconsin, and most believe that Wisconsin is one of the key swing states for 2024, he's going to have to come here and compete. You know, uh, again, going back to the different participants and how they were perceived, and and tell me your thoughts on this. I, I thought that Vivek Ramaswamy was probably the closest in ideology anyway, to uh, Donald Trump. But I'm not sure he could win uh, even his own party's nomination, because if you are part of the Trump base, why would you vote for him when you got the real thing? 
Well, that's exactly right. There is no doubt that Vivek Ramaswamy filled that outsider lane uh, last night. Nobody else could do it. it, much like Donald Trump back in 2016. He was the one true non-politician on the stage. He was very articulate. He was very aggressive. He was mostly knowledgeable. I didn't think he was particularly good on foreign policy, but he would have played well last night to to mega voters. There's there's no doubt about that. And he may have been auditioning to be Donald Trump's running mate if Donald Trump ultimately is the nominee. Kind of like Trump, Trump Jr. kind of thing. Well, I mean, he listen, he's 37 years old. He's very bright. He's very successful. He's very rich, uh, you know, and he can appeal to younger voters, uh, which Republicans have been struggling with in the last couple of cycles. You mentioned the uh, current polling in the Republican uh, fight for the nomination. Donald Trump ahead 40, 50 points in some polls. And if memory serves, I don't think any uh, candidate for a party's nomination has ever lost when they were that far ahead in the polling, and especially given how many others are in the race uh, against him. Uh, so does that mean that these other candidates, they have to be aware of that fact as well. Are they secretly thinking, and is this the big dirty secret? Are they secretly hoping that they are positioning themselves in case Donald Trump is taken out by his legal troubles or any other health issue that might come up? Yeah, well, if they are, that's the wrong strategy. What they ought to be thinking about is how do we call this herd, to use a Wisconsin phrase, sooner than later? I think the timetable on this primary is moving much faster than any we've ever seen in our lifetime. Uh, I think by the time that the California debate is is over at the Reagan Library, if this isn't down to three or maximum four people, that Trump will easily win the nomination. So. They ought to be thinking about if I'm still in, at the two or three percent level or worse yet, if I didn't qualify for last night's debate by the end of September, I ought to be getting out of this race. You know, Bill, there there are things like politics and then there are important things like pumpkin spice latte. And, and <laughs> I heard that you heard that. And, I and did. So, so now I'm curious. So do, now I won't ever touch this stuff. Uh, Rob, do you do, occasionally? You but do? I get tired of it really fast. Bill, what about you? I'm the same. I, I can do maybe one a month, uh, but that's about it. It's not a daily uh, treat for me. But you know what? what's insane about it is it, it originally was a Halloween-oriented drink. Yeah. It came out in time for the end of October. Now they're, like, putting it out in, in August. Yeah. I don't get Well, it. they could have asked that question last night. They did ask a question about UFOs, right? Yeah. <laughs> they asked the entire panel about pumpkin, pumpkin spice. spice question. Good for you. <laughs> good right. point. Very good point. Thank you very much. That is uh, Bill Magoshin, Republican strategist in uh, Wisconsin. See, that's why he's yeah. a strategist, because yeah. he thinks of those things. They See, could have asked that. If I night. were a Republican running for president, I'd yeah. have him advise me on pumpkin spice issues. <laughs> when we come back, we head to Georgia. Because while President Trump wasn't at the debate last night, guess where he's going to be today? Okay, later in the show. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to let this go. Well, no, I mean, you know, Starbucks is getting a little crazy. They're pushing uh, their most popular seasonal drink on us earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier. And earlier. <laughs> you are laser focused on this issue, Charles. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we are, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. All right. Uh, go ahead. It's your turn. Yes. Right now, though, uh, former President Donald Trump surrendering today in Atlanta for the uh, Georgia election case against him and several others. Before his booking, Trump hired a brand new lead attorney. Philip Holloway is a criminal defense attorney and legal analyst based in Georgia. Thanks so much for joining us. 
Always happy to be with you guys. So what's behind this uh, sudden changing of uh, the uh, top uh, defense attorney in this case? Well, I wouldn't read too much into that. Uh, you know, the former president is very well served by his uh, new lawyers, Steve Sadow, who I know, as well as Drew Finling, who was the attorney up to this point. Uh, both of those gentlemen are fine lawyers and and I'm sure uh, ha- have done and will be doing a great job. It, this is a sort of a natural break point because Drew Finling has represented him in all of the things that were sort of leading up to the indictment and all the way through actually, you know, negotiating the bond package as well this week. Uh, there were efforts to have the district attorney uh, disqualified. There were various um, appeals that were done and Mr. Finling did a fine job. But now that we're moving into sort of complex criminal litigation, particularly involving racketeering, uh, it's, you know, it's a natural time. And, and these kind of changes are commonplace and uh, defendants need to be comfortable that the lawyer that they have with them in the courtroom uh, is the best fit for them, you know, in that particular situation. So I think that because we are now moving into the actual litigation phase, it, it seems to be a natural time to change if you're going to change. Philip, in some jurisdictions, they'll have the booking followed immediately by an arraignment. They're not doing that in this case. Is that the the norm for yeah. Georgia? Yeah, this is this is that's right. It's it's typically the arraignment is a is a court date that will be set by the superior court judge. You know, sometime after uh, an indictment. But the, the thing is, normally uh, a, a criminal case starts with an arrest warrant and not a grand jury indictment. So person would normally be arrested on the warrant, uh, and if they can post bond, then they post bond and they get out, and they may wait weeks or months or even years uh, for a court date. In this case, they bypassed the arrest warrant, and they went straight to the grand jury indictment. So they basically have to go in now, and all of the defendants have to be booked in after indictment. So that's a little bit unusual, but the booking has to happen before the case can proceed. So the arraignment will be at some date uh, in the future. And it's worth noting that generally arraignments can be waived. This is just a formality. It goes back to the old days when people could not commonly read and write and judges would uh, read them the charges out loud in open court so that they can be put on notice of what they're being charged with. Uh, and then, of course, future court dates could be set. So uh, the actual arraignment in this case uh, may not amount to much. It's probably going to be waived, if you will, by uh, the various lawyers in the case. Uh, one of the defendants, uh, Kenneth Cheesebro, uh, reasserted his right to a speedy trial, made a big point of, uh, you know, there's got to be a speedy trial here. And uh, D.A. Fonnie Willis responded by saying, OK, October. Uh, what yeah. do you make of that? It's, it's not going to happen in October, is it? Well, it might. She doesn't have any choice because under Georgia law, the it, when a when a defendant files what we call a statutory speedy trial demand, that's a creature of Georgia law. The, the In a non-capital case, which is what this is, it's not a death penalty kind of case, is what I mean by that. The prosecutor is obligated by law and the courts are obligated to bring the case to trial in the term of court in which the uh, demand was filed. In this case, the term of courts are about every, every two months. So you got the July and August term. And so basically she has until the end of the next upcoming term of court, which is, I think, ends in early November, like the 6th. So she has to bring it to trial within that time period, or there's an automatic acquittal. Uh, Georgia law is very clear on this, and it doesn't surprise me that one of these 19 
defense attorneys has has dropped this what we call the the speedy demand and uh it means that unless any of the defendants get severed from the case by the judge then all 19 must go and this is a gigantic uh piece of um, litigation for the courts to try to swallow and digest it, it it's mind-boggling to me how they're going to do that uh and get it started including you know this you got to think about all the pretrial appeals that all the defendants might might, right. might file motions and so you've got a lot of litigation that has to happen but uh, under georgia law it's very clear unless the da wants you know a, an embarrassment uh of enormous proportions uh she's gonna have to bring it to trial within the statutory time period all right thanks so much philip holloway criminal defense attorney legal analyst based in georgia this is knx in depth he's rob archer and that makes me charles felton the group representing hollywood studios made public its latest offer to writers calling it a comprehensive package and now the writers guild has responded Uh uh-huh the union says this should be seen as what it is simply a tactic in the middle of an ongoing negotiation. With us is J. Christopher Hamilton, TV, radio, and film professor at Syracuse University and entertainment attorney. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. I've always liked people who begin their names with an initial. I do. I mean, <laughs> it's great. Just, it's I like great. that. It's, it's, it's mysterious. J. What does it stand yeah. for? Can I ask? I'm curious. Yeah, no, sure. My first name is Jerome. Jerome. Okay. But, but you go by J. Correct. I go by Jay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what do you think about uh, what the union's position is? They're, they're claiming that, uh, you know, this was all basically a, a, a strategy tactic by the uh, producers to kind of get something out there and that uh, this is not a, a real offer, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, look, I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. I don't know for certain, but it definitely it would lend to their credibility as being seen as really attempting to resolve this issue, because as you might suspect, the studios are kind of persona non grata right now in terms of the um, the public uh, perception of who's really at fault here. And is it disturbing, though, that we are still at the posing stage of uh, this battle between the writers and the studios? I mean, it feels like we, we hear that they made a little headway, but not really. Correct. We're We're very much in this phase of hurry up and wait, right? So what I've been hearing from my contacts in the business, and this is what I predicted personally uh, when, I, when, I, when I heard of the strike, then th- there's no resolution anywhere in sight and everyone's predicting this to last through December. So I, I think we're a long way off from any resolution. But uh, if the writers are not anywhere near a resolution, where does that leave the actors? You know, it, it, it's relative to their perception. I think the actors, if they're smart, they're going to ride the coattails of the writer strike and benefit from the the progress and the um, and the uh, any kind of con- concessions made on their regard. So I think the I think the actors want to kind of just wait and let this writer WGA thing play out, since they're the ones really having most of the interaction. But if this in fact goes through or December, the writers out, the actors out. This town, Hollywood, essentially shut down in terms of, of production, except for some no. ind- independent films, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, what yeah. what kind of industry emerges from that on the other side of the strike? That's a great question. I mean, you know, putting aside the the the, the hurt feelings and bad blood and, and all of the businesses that are going to be impacted, if not, you know, um, some probably collapsing from this. 
not really sure. I mean, it's hard to say. Look, there's going to be a huge ramp up for whenever this does get resolved to get productions back on schedule, get people back into production and, and delivering shows. So I think there's going to be a a um, a uh, imp the implications are going to create a wider gap in the ability to see the programming we're used to seeing. So meaning documentary film will probably have a, a surge as we suspect animation as well and maybe some other areas. Now you were uh, pointing out that right now the studios are seen as uh, by and large as the bad guys uh, in this yeah. and why why the strike is going on, but could that change? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, it's I, it's hard to I I doubt it because how often do everyday people, laborers, quote unquote, um look at, you know, corporate you know, Goliath organizations and the CEOs of those organizations as being people who are suffering in any way, shape or form. Right. You know, they we know their compensation packages. We know the worth of those organizations, billions. Right. So it's hard to feel bad for someone who's making multimillion dollars and running a billion dollar organization. All right. Thanks so much. So that is uh, Jay Christopher Hamilton, a TV, radio and uh, film professor at Syracuse University and entertainment attorney. We so, should do the we should adopt the first initial thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I could be um, or just that doesn't sound like C. Feldman. Yeah. C. Well, no, you got to have a middle name. After, well, I do. Yeah, I do. Do you want to tell us what it is? Sure. It's Stewart. No, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say. Oh, no, that's not bad. I can be I can be C.S. Stewart. Right. C. Uh, yeah. That's, OK. That's, I would be R. Gregory Archer. I, but you see, if we if we do that, if yeah. we just use our initials, right. it sounds more classy. We should charge more. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure that's going to fly. Now, how's this for, for a segue? Ready? Ready for this hit, one? Hit okay. Up. So now that the writers are not in the studios writing, many of them are probably working away on scripts, sitting in a coffee place. You see where I'm going with this? Uh-huh. Uh -huh. uh -huh. And... They don't have to wait now until October. Right. I'm getting there. Here uh -huh. we go. To have a pumpkin spice latte. We have landed. <laughs> when we come back. Well, you know, when you think pumpkins. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, you know, I never think pumpkins. I don't either. So that's kind of a false premise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you ever think pumpkins? No. I, can, I could pass a pumpkin. And not think. And not think about yeah. it. Because I don't care. But some people, when they think about pumpkins, mm -hmm. they think Halloween, right? Right, like jack o' lanterns. They think cooler fall weather. Ah, but what rough beast slouched its way towards <laughs> Starbucks to be born? <laughs> Whoa, twenty years ago. Whoa. Wait, 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 wait. Whoa, it's, that was good. Yeah, that I'm getting good. poetic there. Yeah, uh, Starbucks capitalizing off of this twenty years ago gave birth to the beast of pumpkin spice latte. It is an extremely popular. Uh, but uh, drink, but not everybody is thrilled that it is available now in the dead heat of summer. Joe Carrison is a marketing and social media expert. Thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Hot summer weather is too soon for pumpkin spice anything, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think what we're what you experience, what, what we're seeing with this is the uh, the creep phenomenon. Um, you start to see it like around like how Christmas items get put out in stores well before Thanksgiving and and right after Halloween. And this is just kind of the same thing, right? Like it just let's let's get people thinking about the big seller earlier in the year. <laughs> but you know, I guess what I don't understand is if it's that popular, pumpkin spice latte. Why not then just say, you know, the heck with it and just sell it all the time. And if people want to buy it, they'll they'll buy it. Why 
go through this. And every year, what you were talking about, you know, sort of this creeping, you know, earlier and earlier and earlier. Just sell it year round. There's still that seasonal bump you get from some of these things. You know, I think that, you know, much like, you know, putting out, you know, holiday items earlier and earlier, people get a little annoyed with it. And I think they get they would get annoyed with this. You know, the pumpkin spice latte has uh, has kind of like big time defenders, but also a lot of detractors out there. So you might see a lot of blowback from the Internet community on letting pumpkin spice lattes be available in May or June. Uh, you know, so I think that might be what Starbucks is thinking. And why does everything have to be pumpkin spice? You got the pumpkin spice coffee, you got the pumpkin spice tea. I think they're selling pumpkin spice doggy donuts. I think we did a story about that <laughs> yesterday. And I won't be surprised when they roll out this new COVID vaccine if there's a pumpkin spice COVID vaccine. Uh, what, you know, I might take that. I might what, do that. What the hell is pumpkin spice anyway? Yeah, so it, um, you know, I think... Generally, it just kind of has like a more earthy flavor. Um, you know, growing up, uh, I was a kid. My grandmother always made pumpkin pie for uh, fall holiday uh, events, uh, like Thanksgiving and things like that. So, yeah, but she didn't. She I didn't. Gr- yeah, but she didn't grind the pumpkin up and put it in coffee, did right, she? Yeah, and I don't even think oh, this no, stuff no, is no. real. I think it's it's concocted <laughs> in a lab. <laughs> yeah, oh, it absolutely is. There's no way it's. There's no way they're just taking pumpkin and putting it in coffee. Um, no, I think that you know it like it. I don't think it's that good. You know, my wife and I were talking about this earlier and, you know, we were talking about how apple cider is the superior fall flavored drink, you know, mm, but, yeah. um, but, you know, apparently people do like it, you know, I mean, they wouldn't sell as much as they did if it didn't have an audience, um, you know, whether or not everybody likes it, you know, not everybody's going to like everything. So, you know, I guess it's different strokes for different folks when see, it comes to this. See, I'm, I'm, I'm with Joe, uh, apple uh, cider. That I can sounds good. Yeah, that sounds good. But you know what? Not right now. No, because it's no. When it's going to get cooler? Yeah. <laughs> what did what did they do? But Joe, it, it was a, we. I think we said twenty years ago when they first came out with this. What did the world do before there was pumpkin spice latte? Was I, there I thought a, you were going to say what did the world do to deserve this? <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> that too. <laughs> but I mean, but seriously, I mean, what did we all do before? I, I was there this great clamoring. Were people marching through the streets going, we want, no, we need. We live in darkness until the coming of pumpkin spice latte. No, really. What, what did what we, we do? Did was, yeah. I think what we did was we we drank coffee like normal people. Oh, you know, coffee. Drink, like, yeah, like I drink black coffee, you know. I don't I don't drink anything else. You know, I'm sure other people do too. But the, uh, yeah. And, and it was I, 20 I cents too. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> you get it, get it for free at every gas station. No, I, uh, I don't know what we did to deserve it or not deserve it. You know, I, I guess that would be, I, I'm not sure. Um, but it is, you know, I guess it's for here to stay. I don't know. I, I'm guessing, you know, just like everything else with Starbucks or any other major corporation, they did a heck of a job marketing it. You know, they they came out with it. It got word of mouth. Uh, people said, hey, have you tried this? And I mean, I remember hearing about it when they first came out and people would ask me, you know, have you tried this yet? And I said, no, I said, I don't drink flavored coffees or anything like that. I don't drink lattes. And they said, well, you got to try it. You got to try it. So I tried it. Didn't care for it. Won't drink it again. But, you know, it it's a it's definitely something that there's a lot of people that like. And I think it gets like a 
almost has like a a trendiness to it that you know or at least it did 20 years ago um that you were drinking a pumpkin spice latte as opposed to just you know a regular latte right so 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 here's a question for you you're a marketing guy is there room then in america for a pumpkin spice political party (laughs) (laughs) i mean these days i given the last uh you know 10 years of our political activity wouldn't shock me. And you know, <laughs> if, if there is a pumpkin spice political party, they should only come out at Halloween. <laughs> exactly. And then go and then be put away. <laughs> I, think, I think we're on to something here. Uh, Joe Kerrison, thank you so much, uh, marketing and social media expert. So, uh, Charles, are you yeah. going out to get some pumpkin spice latte later? Not in a billion <laughs> okay. years. Not just, in a just billion Just want to clarify no. after all of that talking. Okay, that's it for KNX In-Depth today. We'll be back tomorrow with a non-pumpkin spice flavored edition.